Hey everybody, welcome to the first Pop Pantheon mini-sode, off-week mini-sode, I don't know what I'm calling it. Uh, this is DJ Louie, I'm, you know, giving this a try, I don't know, I, I miss kind of our weeks where I'm not putting an episode out, and of course because the main episodes are pretty involved to put together in terms of just finding the right guests and the editing that goes into them. I wanted to find a way to do an episode on these other weeks that's fun, lighthearted, easy to put together, and where I can kind of keep the conversation going with you guys. So I'm giving that a try this week. Before we get into it, just want to remind you that I am DJing a couple really fun events coming up that if you're in New York or LA, I'd love to see you at. They're all with the uh, podcast Who Weekly, and again, I know that there's a lot of crossover pot pantheon who weekly hooligans out there. So if you are in New York, I will be DJing after parties for who weekly's shows at the bell house on October 22nd and 23rd. I believe there's still a few spots available. It's free. All you have to do is RSVP and you can do that in the link in my bios. I will also put them in the show notes. Uh, my bios on Instagram, pop pantheon pod and DJ L O U A E X I V and on Twitter, same handles. So, Definitely come out if you're in New York and see me DJ all kinds of fun pop music and, you know, hang out with Bobby and Lindsay and it's going to be great fun. And then we just announced a third show, which is going to be like a pop pantheon who weekly co-brand moment that's happening after their show at the El Rey in Los Angeles on October 28th. And all the info for that is also in the RSVP link that's in my bio. I will also link that in the show notes here. So if you're in New York or LA, come out and see me DJ. Come hang with me and Bobby and Lindsay. I think it's going to be a great night of fun. It's Vax only, so you can feel whatever safety that helps you feel. And I hope I see you guys there. So what this episode is going to be today, I don't know. Maybe this will have play out in different ways as I try to experiment with this a little more. Right now, I'm, uh, I got a bunch of questions from people that I'm going to answer, both about pop in general, about the podcast, about how the Pantheon functions, about Britney, about Dua Lipa. So... I'm going to answer all those questions in this episode. Maybe in the future I'll give album reviews. I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to keep it fast and loose on this one. So, let's get into some of these questions that you guys send me. So, the first question is from my boy Tom on Instagram. And he asked, "What is pop as a genre and why is it not simply music that's popular?" You know, I think this is a very, very interesting topic that I've spent a lot of time mulling over in my brain. Like, what is the line between pop music as a genre with, like, notable signifiers? And what is pop music as a reference to just whatever is popular at that point in time? The way I sort of think about it is that it's kind of both. Like, pop is a nebulous term that we can use to describe anything that's popular. So right now, I would definitely say that hip hop is can be described as pop, like as we've talked about so much on the podcast. I think Drake is a pop star, I think Cardi B is a pop star even though they're making music that I guess more traditionally might code as like directly rap or hip hop. Uh I think there's no question that because hip hop is so central to pop music at this current juncture, you know, as grunge might have been in the early 90s, I think we can describe all of that as pop. I wouldn't describe grunge or rock music now as pop. I mean, I guess there's the pop punk movement with Olivia and et cetera, but 
my you get the point. My point is that like there is a world in which all of popular music, aka music that's charting or is causing a it has mass popularity in any way is pop. And then I also think we use the word pop as a genre signifier kind of like in a connected but separate way. Like and to me that means music that's historically sung that's hook based that is uh, I want I'm I find myself wanting to say bright in texture, but I guess that that's not always true. I guess maybe that's what I would call I would separate them out into like the notion of pop and then the notion of like traditional pop as a genre. And traditional pop to me is what I'm saying. I think it's usually music that's sung, melodic, very structured, like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, uh, or some very close affiliate of that structure. And is, I guess, in its essence, made to be the most accessible, the most recognizable to the most amount of people, and something that's meant to be like an ear, that's made to be sort of sticky and an earworm, and I guess is maybe less inherently tied up in like needing to be high art, although it can be, and mostly consumed with like how to create the most sticky addictive song possible that to me is like what pop is as a genre so I don't know if that's helpful I think they're kind of both real true descriptions of pop and they're just weird like we use the same word for two interrelated but separate ideas so I hope that's a helpful thing I think that's this is a very interesting thing to pull apart next question is from ceiling Dan on Instagram Dan Brown what's up Dan do the Grammys still matter and have they ever mattered? The Grammys definitely matter because I think that they are um, a rare mark of like agreed upon prestige. Like even as dumb and like, and I've written about this a million times, they're so off base for the most part. The nominating committees and the way that that hall happens is very opaque and they often come out and feel either wholly or largely like disconnected from like what's happening in actual popular music at that moment. And so that really is a knock against their credibility as kingmakers or as an actual gauge of what deserves to be awarded within the pop ecosystem at a given moment. But I think that they matter because there's just the notion of the term Grammy winner or having a Grammy still means something to people. And I think despite all of us who like gripe about it on the internet, like I certainly do, and I know a lot of us probably do, we still celebrate like when our faves win a Grammy. Like they're still, and like it's still a thing that pop stars will be described as Grammy winning this, you know? So it, I think it does matter, even though it kind of sucks maybe that it matters, but it, yet it's kind of the, the best we have going in terms of like an agreed upon mass cultural crowning achievement in pop. So have they ever mattered? I think the answer to that question is I think they did used to matter more perhaps because there was a less of sort of a cultural discourse around how out of touch they were and because as you know, we get into so much on this podcast – the sort of disintegration of monoculture and of like a unified set of like what was popular this year, what was influential this year, that used to th I think be easier to to designate. Whereas now, 
everything's so splintered that it's like hard to like create a representative picture of the entirety of popular music or even the top of popular music in a given year. So my guess is that they used to matter more just like all award shows used to be like less questioned and less questionable given the way that culture functioned. But they still matter. Like, unfortunately, I do believe that the Grammys are still something that, like, is one of the only agreed-upon markers of prestige, however flawed. And artists are still excited to, for the most part, Drake aside and a few other people aside, artists are still mostly very excited to be nominated for Grammys and fans still, and stands, more importantly, I guess, in the internet era, still love to tout Grammy nominations as a thing of meaning, which means that they matter. And they're important marketing tools and important sort of like signifiers of respect. So, yes, they do matter. Next question is from Texas Dyke, a.k.a. Jen Clark on Instagram. I'd love your predictions. What sounds are you hearing now that may define the times? Uh, This is a tough question. I think we sort of get into this on the main episodes of the podcast, but... As I, me- I don't know what to predict in terms of actual sounds, but I can say that I do think that pop is decentralized. And so we talk about a lot on the podcast how hi- about how hip hop, how central hip hop is right now, which is true on one level. But there's a lot of like pop sub ecosystems that are thriving at this moment. And that's. To me, that's cool. I mean, I definitely struggle a little bit with like my old fart brain, mid thirties, you know, millennial brain, kind of missing the moments where like pop really had like a large center that was mostly agreed upon and where everybody was kind of vibing on the same people for a certain moment. That sucked on a certain level because it obviously like meant that less people were getting an audience and getting attention. And I'm so happy to see that there's like so much room for so many different pop artists operating on in different ways can thrive free of needing to have hits. You know, we talk about this so much on the podcast, but that's, I see culture more broadly and popped is just part of that moving continually in that direction. I think it's going to become increasingly harder, even harder than it is currently for like a single pop movement or artist to like, eat culture in the way that I think sometimes I sort of think to myself kind of the Gaga Katie moment of the early 2010s was kind of the last hurrah of that monoculture popular music ecosystem and so I don't know if I have predictions about sounds I guess I'm not really answering your question super clearly I I, to me I don't I don't know if I have like a very clear answer on like what the quote unquote sound of pop is going to be because I don't think there is going to be one sound. I think as we continue to move forward, pop stars are continuously making moves into kind of echo chambers. Uh, Like if you see like where they can kind of just do whatever they want. It's like, does, is, is there an easy way to connect what like Lana Del Rey and Lord and Billy are doing with like, you know, the hip hop stuff that's at the top of the charts with, Ariana Grande you know it's like yes there's loose connections between all of this but they're all kind of operating in some ways in like equal at equal importance in just very siloed worlds and that's sort of what I see as the future which is cool but also a little bit makes my job a little bit harder as the host of this podcast that where I'm trying to kind of rank all these people against each other because I don't think there's a monoculture anymore or there's much less of one 
The next question is from Jen Galati on Instagram. Jen asks, you mentioned briefly in an episode, but why do you consider Britney tier two and not tier one? Uh, well, first off, I'm not going to like give a clear answer on this because this is something that everyone's going to have to wait until the episode to get a definitive designation on. I don't think that she is definitively one or the other at this point. That's sort of what the point of making these episodes is. And I will be waiting for my guests slash guests on the Britney episode slash episodes to help me figure that out. I think she's in one of the two. And I think it's a very interesting conversation. I'll just say that because she's, you know, a first thing I'll say is that being in tier two is iconic. Like I don't want to, I don't want to have like any misconceptions about that going on. Like being tier two, you are still like a freaking icon. I think some of the things that prevent artists from being tier two versus tier one are sort of things that are in many cases out of their control. Like why are certain artists just on that sort of next level of iconography and importance to the story of pop? It's kind of elusive in a certain way and I just you know I'm not saying Britney isn't in that top tier you know one thing that I've thought a lot about is when Jordan Sargent was on our Justin Timberlake episode which I highly recommend everybody go listen to he sort of said that he thinks tier one uh, a sort of good way to think about tier one is can you tell the story of pop music without this person and I guess if we're thinking about Britney in that context I'm I really don't think that you could so that could be a point for her being in the tier one category. I think some of the things that help that sort of confuse me about it is honestly the way that her career has been derailed sort of post Britney Jean uh, one, you know, it's, that's been, it, it hasn't been a particularly fruitful last 10 years, you know, work bitch aside and th those who stand glory as some sort of artistic achievement also notwithstanding, which is, I do not count myself amongst, I think just to preview, I, you know, glory to me is like a fine album. It's definitely not one of her best. And I also think one of the narratives that really plays in with Britney fairly or unfairly. And I would argue in many cases, unfairly is the broader notion of her as a cipher, I think is something that might work against her as someone that culture on the whole views as a tier one icon. Most of these tier one icons, if not all of them, as I see them, are people that the public views as completely sort of self-possessed and self-embodied artist, artistic forces. And, you know, the way that obviously like any Joe Schmo on the street is going to say to you, yeah, Beyonce, she's 100% in control of her career and her work. I think that that narrative creates a tricky thing for Britney that, again, I'm not saying that that's true and that's how she should be perceived, but I think that that narrative exists. And so if the Pantheon is about assessing how culture views these people, I feel like that works against her. You know, there's plenty that works for her too. She was the defining artist of her generation in terms of pop and, you know, her career, her career of hits spanned a long period of time, let's say 99 through work bitch essentially so that's you know 15 years which is not nothing but again is not quite on the level of like say a michael jackson who was making hits for 30 40 years or diana ross similarly or beyonce you know is now entering her third decade of you know massive cultural relevance as a musician so we'll see i mean i think also like will britney return to music 
and you know i think there's a lot of public interest on her right now so if she were able to deliver an album that was of great interest and quality could she create a third wind in her career that would be interesting you know so part of it is maybe just timing and we just don't know yet so that's my long brief answer that i will certainly get into more on the britney episode next question is from natalie murius on instagram can someone drop tears in the pantheon i think yes and would love to hear your thoughts my answer to this question is yes except for tier one and the reason I say that is because that's what makes tier one tier one is like your legacy is so ingrained in the history of pop and so integral to that story that there's just nothing that you could do. So, you know, uh, Michael Jackson, again, another good example of someone who's had a lot of knocks against him that are so credible and horrific stories and proof of horrible, monstrous things that he's done. But if we're talking about popular music, I just don't think there's any way that we could in integrity say that this man isn't you know one of the most important pop stars to ever exist so again it's like tier one i feel like is kind of set carved in a stone tablet not you know no pun intended but all the other tiers i think are somewhat fluid and i think they're definitely fluid the further you get down i think tier two is a little bit fluid i mean we talked about this on the timberlake episode that we felt like he was tier two potentially sliding into a three because he seemed like a two but now seems more like a three so yes Short answer to your question is yes, these tiers are malleable aside from tier one. Next is from Ruthlessly Ruth on Instagram. What are my thoughts on Dua Lipa as a pop star? Uh, I think I'm going to save most of my thoughts on Dua Lipa for the Dua Lipa episode. I love Dua Lipa. I mean, I think she's, I future nostalgia like anybody else got me through the uh, pandemic. And I, I, I'd i say the one thing I'll drop for you is I'm the future nostalgia era surprised me. I, I can't say that I uh, thought of her as becoming as important as she did and as huge as she became with this last album era during her first sort of run of hits. I kind of saw her potentially ending up more in like the Rita Ora zone potentially, but she's really moved herself into the central pop conversation in a way that surprised me and i very much enjoyed future nostalgia last question is from alana y on instagram alana hi i know you're like very active fan and i appreciate all of the love from you what are my favorite singles of 2021 so far you know i don't have like a definitive list of this but i thought i'd just drop a few of them to go out on uh and we'll go out on one of them uh definitely love best friend the sweetie and Doja team up just one of like those real just a very very sticky song that is unfortunately produced by Dr. Luke yet another unfortunate Dr. Luke production but I think one that proves like all three of their talents and is just an incredibly like fun and addictive pop song like a lot of Doja Cat songs are just extremely sticky and kind of like silly and just filled with catchphrases I just love that song uh, I love the Kelly Uchis song, Telepatia. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that song is just like the sound of an L.A. haze on in, in the middle of a summer afternoon and just is a, the definition of it's a vibe. I fucking live for Olivia Rodrigo's Good For You. I definitely think that's in terms of just like the best hit of the year. That to me is probably the one. I just like it so much better than Driver's License and... I'm so thrilled to see just sort of aggressive maximalist pop come back in the form of pop punk in after an era of just so much dour minimalism. It's just really fun to have just a fun scream along revenge -y 
pop punk anthem and she and that song delivers on that both as like a just a concept of like that's a cool thing to do and also just like is a great song so that's definitely the one for me another is um that i really like actually my favorite song on the little nas album is sun goes down which was, was a single that came out after call me by your name that i think kind of went by the wayside but is very i think the most effectively sort of like intimate song that he's ever put out and really like illustrates kind of why the back half of that album which is very personal about his like sort of struggles as a queer person uh it's the best iteration of that it's catchy it's somber it's sad it's something that i feel like my younger self really would have needed to hear and is kind of emo in a very enjoyable way so i love that song love doja's get into it yeah love billy's happier than ever I actually love Lord's Mood Ring. I think it's definitely like my favorite song on that record in terms of like it captures the mood of whatever she was going for with her like off the grid uh, climate change vibe, but also it's just like a well-written like Natalie and Bruglia nodding pop record. I love Charlie XCX's good ones. I mean, is there a better pop songwriter out there right now? That's got to be one of my favorites of the year i love troy savon's in a dream i love azalea banks's fuck em all night problematic fave uh and you know one that's growing on me a lot actually that i did not connect to really at the beginning is normani's wild side i really thought it was kind of like a d-list tanache song when i first heard it like a just a serviceable back half of a tanache album song but her perform her that the elegant choreographed performance that she gave at the vma has really flipped my thinking on that and it's really stuck with me over time in a way that I would not have expected. And the last one I'll put out there is from everyone's favorite who liberty Tanache. I mean, I think Tanache's put out two of the strongest R and B albums of the last few years with her independent projects songs for you. And the recent one, three, three, three. And my favorite song on it is, is the song called undo back to my heart, which is, it's just an incredibly fun kind of like mid tempo kind of sleazy eighties vibe pop record in the vein of like, Taylor Swift's style actually if like Taylor Swift's style was an R&B song like sung by Janet Jackson is that's what this song is and I just love this song so check out Tanache's 333 like she deserves a lot of love and yeah maybe that's what we'll go out on so thanks for all the questions write in to me again with any questions or comments you have about Pop Pantheon and you can do that at poppantheonpod at gmail.com. You can DM me at poppantheonpod on Instagram or at my own handle, DJLOUAEXIV. And I hope this was fun. Let's keep doing it. Uh, send me your questions and I will answer them. And I'll see you guys next week for another main episode. Bye, guys. But I realize it just isn't right. I've been fine on my own, but I need some